Um, the title of the message today is The Holy Spirit, the Seal, and Earnest. The Holy Spirit, the Seal, and Earnest. And we'll be looking at Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 12 through 16. Verses 12 through 16. This leads up to the prayer of Paul for the Ephesian church. Excuse me. In the next few verses that we'll talk about next week. So come back next week or stay tuned from out of the country or out of the city, wherever. And, and, and because that's a glorious prayer that Paul is praying, and we're going to unpack it a little bit and then show you what he's praying for. That he's praying that for the Ephesian church, and by extension, he's praying it for us as well. So, verse 12 goes like this. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted Christ. Obviously, here the word we refers to the Jewish people who first trusted Christ, who first had the message, and we got, in, we got included a little bit later on. So what it means over here when it talks about to the praise of his glory, we would, uh, we would think that that has to do with our experience or our behavior. But in this particular instance, it has to do with our position that Jesus paid for, that Jesus bought for us, so, so to speak, that Jesus paid a price for, for us to have this glorious position in Christ, in, in salvation, uh, you know, here on earth in victory, and then in heaven in glorification, and so on and so forth. So in, in Scripture, um, many times it speaks about uh, this type of praise of His glory has to do with our behavior. So I like to include it here, although it has to do with our position, because it stands to reason, as we find out from a lot of the New Testament, that uh, so much of, us, uh, of it has to do with our behavior as Christians, so that we might be an attraction to the kingdom of God, so that people out there, as they see our godly behavior, would be attracted to the kingdom of God. And then, so, now, when it talks here about the position, it is that all of the universe, all of creation, all of heaven will know about our position. When I mean all of creation, I mean actually the, the heavenly creation. All the angels will know. All those who have gone before us will know that we have gotten this position because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so though it was first to the Jews who believed first in Christ, uh, yes, by extension, it is also to the Ephesians, as we'll find out in the next verse, and by extension also to us. So, uh, can you imagine then the, that all of the universe knows that Jesus has paid the price for us to have salvation in the fullest and complete sense. So, um, wow, how wonderful and great that is. So, and here it speaks about uh, who first trusted in Christ. Uh, the better translation would probably be, probably be in the Christ. 
because here the emphasis is on his Messiahship. So Jesus as Messiah is here addressed. So anyways, it, it is not super important, but it is what God meant. So that makes it super important, right? <laughs> God doesn't write in his word to us, in his love letter to us, things that are not uh, important. So it is all, even though sometimes it doesn't look so much, it is all important. Verse 13. In, in him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Wow. That, that, that's a lot. In him you also trusted. So the word also means there is now another group included, right? In him you also trusted. He is speaking here to the Ephesians, and once again, by extension, to us. Uh, so that he's saying to us that after you heard the word of truth, so when we heard the word of truth, as the Ephesians did, the gospel of our salvation, in whom also, he says, having believed, you were sealed with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of promise. So, let's look at that a little bit, because the, the, the words need to sometimes be explained a little. The word having believed, so we heard the word of truth, we heard the gospel of our salvation, and then in whom, in Christ, we also believed. And then it says, having believed, we were sealed. So, huh. well, some things to, to, to consider over here. It, 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 is, it is not like uh, as if the Holy Spirit got a notice uh, on his phone or in the mail or, or wherever that says, hey, somebody has believed. Go give the stamp, go give the seal that is you, uh, uh, go do it. So it, it, what it means over here, it is sort of a, a, a simultaneous thing, that when we believe, as we're believing, while we're believing, the Holy Spirit seals us. Okay? So now, then it'd be interesting to see, you know, who is this seal? Because it is the Holy Spirit himself. Who is this seal? So it is, he's not talking about that he is stamping us with a seal or stamping us with a stamp. It is that he himself is the seal. Wow. How great a guarantee that is. Now, what does a seal mean in Scripture? That would be a, a, a good question. What does a seal mean in Scripture? Let me give you uh, about three ideas. A fourth one is included by, uh, by logic. Um, first, uh, a seal is a finished transaction. It's like when you have a, a, a contract, and the contract is, be, is completed, it's a finished transaction, then somebody gives a signature these days. But in the old times... They would put a seal, their seal on it, as well as the other person's seal who's, who, who's entering a contract with them. So that it is no ifs and buts about it. It is a finished deal. Um, the second meaning that we find in Scripture is uh, the idea of ownership. And I'll, I'll compare this with, with us 
as in, in, the, in the scriptures as in, the, in our walk in just a little bit. The second thing is ownership. In 2 Timothy we read these, these words. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are his. Having this seal, this ownership. It speaks about the Lord knows them that are his. So it speaks about ownership over here and in connection with the word seal. Thirdly, the word seal has the idea of security. When Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, uh, the king ordered a stone upon the mouth of the, of the den and sealed it with his own signet. Um, yes, he did that for security reasons, so that no one could go there in the middle of the night and, and, and get Daniel out of the lion's den. It was sealed, uh, period, with the king's signet, his own signet. Uh, everybody knew, don't break that signet, don't break that seal, because you'll get, in those days, you would be put to death. Or, for example, that same contract that we talked about in the finished transaction, is that if you have that contract folded up, and you put it in an envelope, then that envelope would be sealed, uh, so as it, for it to make it secure that nobody would go in and mess with the paperwork. And then, fourthly, uh, a seal means authenticity. Uh, authenticity. Uh, authenticity is related both to ownership and security. Um, so the seal from old and even now shows that it is authentic. So now let's compare that with us. Uh, the seal that is the Holy Spirit himself testifies of the fact that we are a finished transaction. That Jesus, when he said on the cross, it is finished. It is that a transaction that was with the Father was finished and complete. All is done for the salvation of those who will believe. Salvation is in its complete form. It is done. It is finished. It is all delivered in its complete potential. It is all delivered in its complete potential. There are still things to walk through. Yes, it is finished, but there are still things to walk through, but yet it is delivered in its full potential, not in its full uh, development or in its full experience or whatever. So, when it says it is finished, that means that it is all taken care of. It is all accomplished in its potential. And then now those who will believe in him, in Jesus Christ, and what he has done on the cross, will be able to walk through it in the idea of, uh, with, uh, later on we'll explain uh, the idea of justification, the idea of sanctification, and the idea of glorification. That is all part of the salvation experience. So in its completion, in its completeness, it is finished, it has been delivered that way. So not in its experience yet, but in its potential. Are you with me? So secondly, ownership, um, because of the finished transaction on the cross, those who will believe in Christ will from then on, that is to say, from then on when they believe, they will belong to God. The seal that is the Holy Spirit gives us that certainty. Thirdly, security. In Romans chapter 8, we read the question, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
and then it gives us, you know, you know that chapter. You can go look at it in chapter 8. And it gives us a slew of things that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, and if we read that whole list there in chapter 8, we'll come to the conclusion that the Creator will not separate us, and, cre and creation cannot. The Creator will not separate us because we belong to Him now, and we are secure in that, and creation cannot separate us, no matter what. Uh, the seal of the Holy Spirit gives us the security that we simply cannot be separated from the love of God. And then for authenticity, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the seal that is the Holy Spirit, testifies to all of creation that we authentically belong to God. Wow. Woo! So then, now verse 14. Um, who is the guarantee, that is speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Here you have that expression again, to the praise of His glory. So as we read these verses and we are talking about these verses, it becomes obvious to us that indeed the context was our position and not so much our behavior though our behavior is always somewhat connected with our position, right? So, but the emphasis is here on our, our position, that uh, who is the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So then, the Holy Spirit then, we read over here, is the guarantee uh, the King James calls it the earnest of our inheritance. It is like a down payment. It is like um, a pledge, a deposit, if you will. Um, it is like a down payment that you, 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 you do uh, when you are purchasing a house. You make a down payment so that you are letting people know that you are quite serious about buying that house. Uh, now then, so you have made your down payment, and you're making, you're buying the house, the deal is, uh, is closed, you're buying the house, and now you make payments, and at the end of a period, 15 years, 30 years, or if you go faster, faster, uh, then you own the house, it is paid for, it is delivered, so to speak, and then you get to enjoy it from, from then on. So the down payment was part of the purchase, but after it's paid for, its purpose, as far as the purchase is concerned, has been completed, right? So now, I'm not trying to say that the job of the Holy Spirit is completed and he has no more work to do. No, no, no. The job of that, the completion of the, the, the sale, the purchase, and so has been completed. Uh, so that his job has been done as far as that is concerned. He has a whole lot more to do. We can write volumes on what the Holy Spirit does and what the Father has instructed him to do and the job that the Father has given him. So, but as far as the down payment. But, so, um, the Greek word for uh, earnest 
or guarantee or down payment is the word Arabon, Arabon, A-R-R-A-B-O-N. It is interesting to see that the, the word in the Greek for engagement ring, engagement ring, is Arabona, A-R-R-A-B-O-N-A, Arabona. So when somebody gives somebody else an engagement ring, uh, that means that this person is serious about getting married in the future. So it is, the engagement ring is like, sort of like a down payment. Hey, 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 I'm serious about getting married to you. So you don't give somebody an engagement ring if you're not serious. So the size of the down payment or deposit of the thing, whatever the thing is, a house, whatever my car, whatever it may be, uh, 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 an inheritance uh, determines the size of it. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Let us say um, you're in your house, you're watching a little television, all of a sudden there's a knock at the door, and um, you open the door and it says, Sir uh, or, or ma'am, uh, I'm an, an attorney here in town, and your uncle, who has passed away, has given me instructions to come and give you a down payment of the inheritance that he's left for you. So let us say then that, the, inherit, that the, the down payment is $100. What would you think the inheritance is? $1,000? $10,000? Maybe $100,000? Ah, max, maybe, max. But now then, uh, if that same lawyer comes and he knocks on the door and he says, ma'am, sir, uh, your uncle who passed away not too long ago has asked me to come and then give you a down payment of the inheritance that he has left you. And he, he, he gives you, hands you a check for a million dollars. What would you think that inheritance would be? So when God in his word tells me that the down payment for our inheritance, that the down payment for my inheritance is the blessed Holy Spirit, I am thinking, whoa, what an inheritance is mine. Not only in size, but also in quality. What a down payment is mine. What, what an inheritance is mine when the Holy Spirit is the down payment. So I am excited, and I'm excited today. I'm excited today to know. I'm excited the day that I found out. And I'm excited that today, if you did not know, that now you know that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance. So, now then. Then it talks about uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession. So let us talk about the pur purchased possession. The thing, the purchased possession is our salvation. Our salvation is the purchased possession. That is what Jesus purchased on the cross. And then some. So this is just the collective name of what he has done on the cross and so on and so forth. So uh, the, the purchased possession then is our salvation. Now, let's, let's explain that just a little bit. Um, let's, let, let's, let's just look at that a, a, a little bit. So, the salvation, we know, 
um, has three tenses or three parts, if you will, uh, salvation. Uh, the first part is justification. That is when an unbeliever comes to Jesus Christ and believes in Jesus Christ, then he has experienced justification. He has experienced the forgiveness of all uh, their sins, and heaven is guaranteed. So the sins are forgiven, heaven is guaranteed. Then you have the idea of sanctification. The Holy Spirit, the Father, has given the Holy Spirit the job of making those who believe in Jesus Christ to make them more and more like Jesus. So, though in justification heaven is guaranteed, in sanctification there is more of heaven manifested here on earth through the believers in Jesus Christ and that, that, that is seen in us. And as John the Baptist would say, I must decrease and he must increase. So as people, as I am decreasing because the Holy Spirit is showing me the way and he increases Jesus in me, then Jesus is increased and people see more of Jesus than they see of me. That is the, that is the equation that I want all the way. All the way. Nothing about me. It's all about Jesus. If nobody sees me, but they see Jesus, hey, I, I have lived my life the right way. I have lived my life to the glory of the Father and not to my own glory. And that's the way we all as Christians should live. And then, so, justification and sanctification, we have that going on. But glorification is in the future. Glorification is that now you are in heaven. Now you are not in the presence of sin any longer. And now you are not in your um, natural body anymore, but you are not, you're not only in a glorified body, but you are in glory with the Father. Glorification. So when that happens, when, when you go to glory, that is then the redemption. You have been delivered to where you ultimately need to be what Jesus has paid for on the cross. So when it reads that the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, which is our salvation, the redemption is when there is, we, we experiencing glorification, and then it goes on to say to the praise of His glory. But let us, let us look at this uh, 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 just a little bit more. Uh, the glorification then is the redemption it's talk, that it's talking about. So once we are glorified, that part of the Holy Spirit's job in our life, that part only, is then finished. Uh, and it is redeemed and it is delivered in full delivery of all the parts of salvation that, were, that was purchased by Jesus Christ. And then we read to the praise of his glory. This glorification we are told by God here in the epistles of the, to the Ephesians will be to the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ. As we expected, this will be a glorious experience for eternity to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. That all 
that all of creation, that all of heaven, that all of the angels, that all of those who went before us, and ultimately all of those who come behind us, they will see and give God glory through Jesus Christ for the position that he has afforded us in heaven. Verse 15 and 16. I'll read them both. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I have heard of your faith. These, these words here in verse 15 and, and 16 uh, remind me so much of the study in Philemon when Paul wrote these similar, not exactly the same, but almost exactly the same words to Philemon. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So here he's saying that, listen, I have heard something about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, uh, your testimony is all over the place. And I heard that you love, you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you love the saints. Wow. That is the testimony that I want to have. And I pray that that is the testimony that you want to have. That it is the testimony that you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just saving faith. Not just that first time when you exercised faith uh, to, to be saved. But here it is your experiential faith. Your everyday sort of a faith. That every day as you walk with Jesus Christ, you trust Him. You trust Him. You trust Him in difficulty. You trust Him in good times. You trust Him every time. You trust them for your parents. You trust them for your children. You trust them for your brothers and sisters. You trust them for your family. You trust them for your finances. You trust them for your car. You trust them for your home. You trust him, period. So often when we speak about trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> we say stuff like this. I trust God for $50,000. Wait a second. <laughs> Did God tell you that he was going to give you $50,000? Because if you just trust him for $50,000 and think that he'll give you $50,000, why don't you trust him for $100,000? You see what I'm saying? So in many, many, many instances, many, 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 many instances, when it doesn't speak specifically in God's word, for an example, uh, it may not speak specifically in God's word, that you should go to Baylor University or, or A&M or University of Texas. Let me not leave that one out, you know. Um, uh, so that you, you don't know. So you're asking God to show you. And you, you, it, it is not up to you to ask God, say, God, please send me to the University of Texas. You can ask that, but then you have to be satisfied when he decides that he sends you somewhere else. Yeah? But when you trust him, it's because you leave it up to him. If it is specified in the scripture, then you can trust him for whatever God has said that he would do for you in the scripture. For an example, when 
uh, when I pray to God, God, please give me more love for my wife. He is obligated to do it because that is what he said that I should be doing. And he, he has always said that he was going to help me with the stuff that I cannot do myself. I cannot love my wife like Christ loved the church. I don't have the, the ability to do that. But he who lives in me will give me the ability to do it. So when I ask him for that, he's obligated to give that to me. So now I will be able to love my wife more. That is what he has promised and told us in his word. Right? So, uh, and then it speaks about our love for all the saints. That little word over here, all, I, I, I need to pay attention to that. Uh, not, not, not some saints. <laughs> we should have love for all the saints. Even if they are from a different political party. Even if they are from a different denomination. All the saints. We need to show them love. All the saints, my brothers and sisters. That means all. When God says all, that means there is no exceptions. All. 100% all. So, dear brothers and sisters, if you are struggling with loving people from a particular group, or maybe loving people from a particular, a particular political party, or whatever divide that there might be, get, get with God. Because God wouldn't have it that way. God would have it that we love all the saints. Not only, but that the body of Christ would be in unity, in the unity of the Spirit. And not only that, but God has given us the assignment that we should make the greatest endeavor to maintain, to safeguard, to keep the, the unity of the, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I heard of your love for all the saints, this is a testimony that Paul heard that of the Ephesian church. This is who they were. This is what they lived like. This is what their experience was. This is what their behavior was. This is what their walk was like. And then he goes on to say, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks for you. That means he doesn't stop to give thanks to God for the Ephesian church. Other people in your life that you say, I can't help but give continually give thanks for them. And he says, and making mention. And here, the word making mention over here in the Greek has to do with the consistently making mention of, of them in, in his prayers. Um, in my own personal prayer life, there are, at this moment, it's, it varies sometimes. Like, for example, I'm praying for a couple of people, a couple of sisters who want to have babies. Uh, I'm praying for them and praying for them, basically, but do not, let me not exaggerate, so I won't say every day, but tip. Typically, basically, every day I pray for them. I'm making mention of them in my prayers every day. When God is giving them a baby, then I don't have to pray for that any longer. Right? So, so sometimes my list then is fluid as sometimes a prayer is answered. Well, I don't have to pray for that any longer. I can continue to pray for the person, but not for that particular purpose. You, you follow what I'm saying? 
But at this point in my, in my prayer life, there is a list of people, and I'm not talking about my, my immediate family. Obviously, I pray for them all the time. But there's a list of people outside of my immediate family that I'm praying for basically every day. I would say there is probably 20 people on that list that is outside of praying for other people that, that text me, would you pray for me, or that call me, hey, I need prayer right now, would you pray with me over the phone, or, or, or whatever. So, but in my prayers then, I make mention of those prayers, of those people, of those needs, consistently, all the time. Now, some people think that if you really have faith, you should just pray once and it, and it is done. No, 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 I, I don't go with it. I, I feel like God has to give, directed me to be persistent in prayer. And he gives us a, parable, a couple of parables that way. So, uh, 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 and, and, and here I'm glad to see <laughs> that Paul does the same thing. So I, I think I, I'm, I'm in pretty good company uh, that way, consistently making mention of you in my prayer. What an encourager Paul was. What an encourager Paul was. He wanted people, he wanted to see people walk with Jesus Christ. And so Paul himself then had the ministry that is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the word uh, encouragement is, is a Greek word, parakaleo, and we know parakaleo, so there's P-A-R-A-K-A-L-E-O, parakaleo, and that has the same root as the, the Greek word for Holy Spirit, parakletos, parakletos, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-O-S, parakletos. So for, <clears throat> for us then to, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could um, have the same ministry as the Holy Spirit so that we would set our minds and be intentional about encouraging other people in the way of Jesus. In the way of Jesus. In the way of the kingdom. In the way of God. Um, so biblical encouragement is not just to make somebody feel good. Because I'm not going to make somebody feel good about not going to church. Or feel good about disobeying God. I, I'm, not, I'm sorry. Uh, it's not about just feeling good. It is to encourage people in softer or maybe more direct ways to walk with Jesus. You just have to sense what opening that you have, what way that you have to be able to do that. Encourage her. Para Kaleo, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that Paul had that ministry. Because I am continuously encouraged when I read Paul's writings. Also Peter's, but Paul's writings, you know, um, so sometimes he's quite redundant. <laughs> and I like it because he doesn't leave any stone unturned. And he goes, you know, hey, let me tell you, and let me tell you, and tell, tell you, and tell, tell you again. Uh, don't miss it. <laughs> so I, 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 I like that. Uh, um, so I, I, I praise God for that. Remember that next week, in the next few verses, we find the prayer that Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. It is revealing. 
It is powerful. It is by extension also to us. So I, I take it as, as a prayer for us and as a prayer that I can pray for some of my brothers and my sisters, for my church, for your church, and so on and so forth. So uh, thank you so very much for being part of this. May I invite you that if you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you do that today?